Well, good morning. My name is Edgar Mama, and I serve on the pastoral staff here at ZF. I want to start this morning by wishing you all a happy Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, I expected that. Yeah, somebody said, oops, Edgar, today is just July 11th, and it's not November yet. And I know it, that it's not November yet, and in fact... There is no turkey, there's no potato, mashed potato and gravy, there's no green beans, and there's no cornbread, my favorite, on the dinner table tonight. So today certainly is not uh, Thanksgiving, someone might say. Well, aside from all the goodies that show up on our dinner table on the last Thursday of November each year in America, today is just as much of a Thanksgiving day like any other day of the year, owing to the fact that we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the marvelous light of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are redeemed and saved and loved by God. And just that in itself deserves a daily thanksgiving. We are continuing our sermon series from the book of Psalm, Psalms this morning, but we will focus our attention on one of the Psalms of thanksgiving this morning. But before we dive into it, let us pray for God's wisdom to enlighten our hearts on the importance and the virtue of thanksgiving and why we should embrace it as, part, as a part of our daily lives. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we come to your presence this morning. It is our desire that we would learn how to give you thanks in all things as your word has commanded us, for it is a good thing. We pray that you open our hearts. We pray that you will speak through me, that your word will come forth with grace and understanding, that by the time we leave here, we will truly appreciate what it means to be thankful to you, our Heavenly Father. We pray in Jesus' name. So today we are dwelling on Psalm 92, and please follow along with me in your Bibles as I read Psalm 92. If you don't have a Bible, you can look under the seat in front of you that you may find one. It reads, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hand I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish. 
all evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. The author of this psalm is apparently unknown. However, based on valid assumptions, many scholars have attributed it to David. But whether David penned it or not, it is evident that this psalm loomed large in David's daily life. It was referred to as the psalm of the Sabbath. Therefore, it served a liturgical purpose in the temple worship, which David took great delight in. The psalm is altogether styled as one of praise and thanksgiving, as the psalmist optimistically looks forward to the complete destruction of all of God's enemies. We will find that in verses 7 to 9. And the complete triumph and happiness of his faithful ones, as we will see from verse 10 to 14. So come along with me as we explore the depth of this psalm. For our corporate edification, just as it could have meant to the temple worshippers in those days, but more specifically, it is my prayer that we would come to deeply, and I mean deeply appreciate the significance of living with a continual attitude of gratitude unto the Lord in our daily lives. And that is the title of my message. Living with a continual attitude of gratitude in our daily lives. And to advance our discussions, let us look at the following three points or movements in the text. The first point is the invitation to tireless thanksgiving and praise from verses 1 to 4. And we will move on to the warning against heedless arrogance and then the joy of endless vitality. First, the invitation to tireless Thanksgiving and praise. The psalmist begins this psalm with a declarative statement in verses 1 to 4. He does it as someone who had evidently tried and seen what praise can do or has experienced the power of thanksgiving. And because of his experience, he resorts into a joyful outburst of praise. And hence, he declared, listen, Again, as I read, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare the steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, and that the works of your hand I sing for joy. 
There is a lot that the psalmist has packed into these short verses about the kind of attitude he encourages his readers to have toward God, whether in a corporate worship as we are doing here this morning or in our daily lives. But first, what is the essence of his declaration, you may ask? The answer to that is to give thanks. And what is the mode of his expression that he says here is through singing and what is the object it is the lords of gods it's seasons he says both in the morning and in the night and what are the aids he says with music of all kinds and finally the inspiration of that is for the gladness that comes to him through the work of the lord so the psalmist calls upon us and encourages his readers to give thanks to the Lord. And he precedes that encouragement with a reason. He says, it is good to give thanks unto the Lord. And where did you first encounter this phrase, it is good? You are right if your guest is in the book of Genesis. And the creation account in Genesis, where God where we see that God punctuated the end of each day of creation with this self-accomplishing phrase, it is good. But on the sixth day after he created man, he was really satisfied and he said, it is very good. And on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, he rested. In other words, a familiar reframe of divine satisfaction about his handiwork also came to rest on the Sabbath. Perhaps it is from this backdrop that the psalmist came upon what he thought is the appropriate response by man to the mighty works of the Lord that he has done by repeating the same phrase when it comes to giving thanks. He said, it is good. There was silence on Sabbath, on the seventh day of God's creation. The divine refrain is, has ceased. But there is a redemption here. The psalmist now comes and says, it is good concerning what you have done. It is good. However, it is not only good to praise God in itself because he deserves all our praise and thanksgiving but also good for us in recognition of his manifold goodness toward us. In another sense, it is the rent or tribute we owe God for his breath in our nostrils, for the world we live in, and the free sunlight we utilize every day, but yet pay electricity bills. I hate it. For the rain that he freely gives to make our plants grow. For he fills to fill our reservoirs, to cool down atmospheric temperatures. Yet we pay water bills and pay hefty sums to irrigate our fields. But yet he gives all of that to us freely. Sami says, it is good. These countless number of blessings we sometimes take for granted, such as food, clothes, freedom, clean water, shelter, family, friends, security, good health, and financial means are blessings 
many people all over the world are lacking this morning. So whenever we withhold a genuine attitude of praise and thanks to God, no matter how little or how much we have, we actually act unjustly, arrogantly, and pridefully toward God when you fail to give thanks. On the contrary, when we walk daily with an attitude of thankfulness to God for every blessing, great or small, even in times of difficulties, we express how undeserving we are of His blessings. And when we live with an attitude of gratitude, we also express how, we, how dependent we are on God's mercies. And I agree with a scripture that says in Acts 20, uh, 17 verse 28, in him we live, we move, and have our being. Without him we are nothing. Therefore, it is pleasant to give thanks unto the Lord. And whenever we do, we join the heavenly hosts who are forever praising God for His holiness, His beauty, and His majesty. But did you know that when angels praise God, when they worship Him or give Him thanks, what do they get in return? The only thing angels get in return when they worship and praise God is the pleasure of being in the service of the supreme God. That's all they derive. But when you and I engage in heartfelt gratitude unto the Lord, we do not only share in that glorious joy and pleasure of thanksgiving to our Heavenly Father, but we receive more of His mercies. Angels don't receive that. You and I receive that. Let me tell you a fictional story with the hope that it will help us capture why it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Bear with me. This is just a fiction. Imagine a man died and he went to heaven. Upon arrival, an angel of the Lord took him on a tour of heaven. When they got to the first station, the man noticed that all the angels there were extremely busy, busier than any Amazon or FedEx warehouse in December. And this prompted the man to ask the angel what was going on in that station. The angel replied, this station receives all the prayer requests from all humans. And as you know, it is an endless stream of requests, petitions, laments, and the like every day, any, every minute. So that's why they are busy. They moved on to the next station where he saw another group of angels who were pretty busy, but not as the previous group. The angel said to the man, these are the angels who sought out God's answers to all the requests into yes, Wait, no, or let God's will be done. Have you been there? And at the next station, the man noticed that the angels there were not as busy as the last two stations. So he quickly inquired about what they did. The angel replied, these are responsible for packaging all answered prayers that are earthbound. And they moved on to the last station, when they got to the last station, the, an the angels there were extremely relaxed and even had time to, to chat with the man. 
And as they were walking back, the man quickly asked the angel what those angels did. And listen to this. And this is the crux of the story. And the angel responded, oh, those angels are the ones who receive feedbacks and praises and or thanksgiving unto the sovereign Lord. The great benefactor from whom all living creatures derive their daily existence. Without him, nothing exists. And there is nothing that they have that has not been given unto them. That they have not received from the heavenly father. But yet you see they hardly return to give thanks. To put it in modern parlance, they do not send back reviews for the deliveries they have received. Instead, they, consistently, they are consistently sending new orders without the realization that every request that comes with a great review of thanksgiving is marked with a priority stamp. No wonder Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 4, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving, make your request made known to God. Did you notice with the, the phrase, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God? In other words, it reminds us, as one career uh, ad used to say, don't just send it, DHL it. In other words, don't just send your prayers and your requests. Accompany them with thanksgiving unto the Lord. And to put that in perspective, we should always send this request with gratitude unto God. For all he has already done for us in the good and in the bad times, give God praise. It is his will concerning you. The Bible says, as someone has said, it is thanksgiving that makes room for more, while request only signals your need for more. It is thanksgiving that makes room for more. Request signals your need for more. In other words, the, the call of, for our daily attitude should be one that gives thanks more for what we have received and think less on what we still want. How thankful are you this morning? As you are seated there this morning, how thankful. This, my friend, is an invitation to develop an attitude of tireless gratitude to the one who deserves it. And this should be a daily habit, as verse 2 says in Psalm 92, as we read. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Meaning we should, fill, we should be filled with thanksgiving at all times in between the two bookends of the day, morning and night. And we must praise God not only in public assemblies as we are doing here this morning, but in secret, in our families, to ourselves, to those around us, telling them about the loving kindness and faithfulness of God. When, when last did you do that? We shall make it a habit of giving thanks every morning for his mercies of the night and every night for his mercies of the day. Let us quickly look at the second movement 
the warning against heedless arrogance. Verse 6 introduces us to the first of the three contrasts the psalmist draws in this psalm. In verse 4 and 5, the psalmist reflects on the fact that true worship often stems from a careful reflection on the awesome deeds and thoughts of God toward the worshiper. Think. Think. Who is he? What has he done? Marvel at him. And such awareness does not only make the heart glad, but also engenders an outburst of praise. If you stop and think of his goodness, your heart will well up with praise for him. However, the psalmist does not, uh, the psalmist says the fool, the dull man, the wicked, or the arrogant, depending on your version of the Bible, it says cannot understand it. And by the way, this has nothing to do with mental acuity. It simply infers a conscious denial of failure to recognize God as a creator and giver of all things. And therefore, in the arrogance, fail to praise God. They do not only lack understanding of how great our God is, but we fully despise him in their hearts. Such people are often boastful, prideful, and arrogant. They attribute the achievements of their hands purely to hard work, talent, and willpower. Unlike the righteous who rejoice at the handiwork of God, the fool or the arrogant man rejoices in the works of their own hands. And perplexingly, they seem to prosper in their evil ways, and sometimes to the chagrin of the righteous, just like this, the, the psalmist Asaph says in Psalm 73, verse 1, 2, 3, he opined, he said, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But the psalmist did not leave his readers guessing about the fate of those who deny God their grateful praise and acknowledgement for all his mighty works and gracious gifts of life. Look at verse 7b. It observes here that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. In other words, Though the workers of iniquity may flourish with pomp and glamour. And in, in all instances of outward prosperity, that makes someone be tempted to think that all of that prosperity leads to their happiness. God has got something else in mind for them. And this is what he says. They shall perish. They will be doomed. No wonder David in his old age in Psalm 37, 1 and 2 reminds us, he says, Never envy the wicked. Soon they will fade away like grass. 
they will disappear. Don't be envious of the wicked. This then is a loud call against an attitude of heedless arrogance. Because the life cycle of the wicked is short, like grass, and flourishes. Even though it flourishes, it quickly withers away. But our God will reign forever, the psalmist says. Here are some comforting words for those of you who are presently suffering under any weight of oppression or any kind of injustice in the hands of those who care less about whether God is watching or seeing their misdeeds. Or some of you who, on account of remaining faithful to God, have been made to think like the psalmist in Psalm 73, verse 13. In vain have I kept my heart pure and clean and washed my hands in innocence. Be encouraged that a day is coming when the righteous judge and the, whole, the righteous and holy judge will bring about his incontrovertible justice for all his beloved. In the meantime, let us heed what David tells us. In Psalm 37, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And the second contrast there, this, uh, the, the psalmist observes in Psalm 92 here is that he points out that God's enemies shall be cut off, but David shall be exalted. But let us, let us bring this home and talk about us. How would you honestly describe your own attitude about the many blessings God has so lavishly blessed you and your family with? Is it one of an attitude of daily gratitude or appreciation to God? Or you somewhat tacitly attribute that to discipline, hard work, or talent? And you fail to give thanks to God? Or do you see, or do you so easily overlook the blessings that you already have in place of your needs and forget to thank the Lord? I know it is easy for us to deny these claims, even though it is much easier to tell if we live with grateful heart daily unto the Lord or not. Here are some ways we can tell whether we are living with a daily attitude of gratitude unto the Lord or not. Or we are withholding his thanks, thanks from him. First, when you look at others with their lands and gold, as the hymn writer says, do you tend to be easily discouraged thinking all is lost and fail to count your many blessings, naming them one by one? If that is true about you, then you are withholding praise from God. Or do you tend to easily freak out when you lose control of life? You are not in charge of your life. If that is true about you, then you may be relying more on your own ability and strength than on the providence of God, and therefore fail to give thanks to God in all things. Lastly, in your prayer, is it always laden with 
one request after the other. And you tend to whine and complain about everything and hardly stop to thank God. If that is true about you, then you are withholding praise and honor to the one who deserves it. And please permit me here to humbly suggest to us that many of us in the Western world are more or less thankful and deeply appreciative of God's providence than people in other parts of the world. As one born and raised in Africa, I could tell you this. And here are the hindrances that I feel that prevents us from the West, especially for, for us in America, to be more grateful to the Lord. One of those is self-reliance. We tend to rely so much on ourselves, individual ability to make wealth, and the social safety nets that we have, the economic security, and the abundance of material possessions. All of those things cloud our vision of the one who provides them. And it, it is evident that those who tend to make the Lord their sole reliance and trust in Him with their lives are more likely to be thankful for every little blessing than trust their own abilities to afford those needs. People of God, I do not mean to offend anyone by this statement. Instead, my goal is to provoke you into an honest moment of reflection on how thankful you have been to God lately. How thankful have you been for your salvation, for the daily mercies and protection over you and your family as you go in and come, as you go out and come in, his patience and kindness towards you? How thankful have you been for your spouse, for your children, and a countless number of blessings? Stop complaining about a broken shower head, for example. When one billion people of the global population do not have access to safe drinking water. And I tell you, over 4,000 children die every day as a result of diseases of, uh, associated with contaminated water around the world. For you young people, stop complaining, Mom, I'm starving. When your refrigerator and cabinets are full of food, you do not want to eat. Be thankful because over 15,000 children die every day of real starvation. I'm starving. They are dying. Let us be thankful. Let's look at the last point briefly, the joy of endless vitality. Let us... As we look at this joy of endless vitality, we look at, you know, the last of the contrast that David is presenting to us here. He says, David's enemies shall be confounded, but all the righteous shall be fruitful and flourish. And flourish. To put David's joy of endless vitality for the righteous into perspective, let us go back to verse 4 where he says, and he boldly declares, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work at the works of your hand. I sing for joy. And this also ties in with the confidence that he has in saying, but you reign on high forever in verse 8. 
And if you reign for high, on high forever, then you will raise my head. Verse 10 says, But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. If you take a closer look at this verse for a moment, David uses the metaphor of his horn being exalted like an, a wild ox. And here is what a wild ox looks like. So you see the picture. And when you look at it, what symbolism do you think he was alluding to? Yes, he was alluding to power, strength, and authority. And to top that up, he added, you poured over me fresh oil, which also symbolizes God's anointing grace. Perhaps David realizes here that, that uh, the power and strength without God's grace is deficient. Do not depend on just your power and strength. In other words, an outward appearance of strength, stamina, vim or vigor, does not naturally translate to spiritual vitality. I will look strong on the outside. Who are you on the inside? How does God see you? And in verse 11 and 12, he writes, The righteous flourish like the palm tree, and grow like a cedar of Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Yet again, you see in, it, in both verses the word flourish, which infers growth. But David does not only just say the kind, the, any kind of growth, but he uses the metaphor of the palm tree and the cedar, which both are emblematic of graceful erectness, strength, and majesty. But here, David is not just talking about growing any other place. He even signifies where the, 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 these trees grow. And he says here, the palm and the, and the cedar grow in the house of the Lord. And here is how one commentary puts it. It says, God's trees are said to be planted in his house because it is from his grace, by his word and spirit, that they receive all the sap and virtue that keep them alive and make them fruitful. They fix themselves hold to the holy ordinances, take root in them, abide in them, and put themselves under the divine protection and bring forth all fruit to God's honor and glory. The psalmist concludes here with a statement that perhaps is one of my best in this entire psalm. In verse 14, he says, They will bear fruit in old age. Praise the Lord. They will. And they would ever be full of sap and green. This is a sharp contrast with verse 7 which says, though the wicked flourish, they will be doomed in the end, but the righteous will be fruitful even in old age. I have the privilege of being in close relationship with many people in this church who are within that age bracket. And we are blessed in ZF to have so many godly older folks whose zeal for the Lord and joy in serving the Lord is unquenchable. 
And I want to encourage you parents who have younger children, connect them with older Christians outside of the family circle whose lives they can emulate. Let them watch their lives. Because these people truly are a proof of this text that even in old age, they will still bear fruit. It means that the aged in the Lord who have tasted of the goodness of God are forever praising and thanking Him and are empowered with spiritual vitality that is not measured by cognitive or mental acuity. But it is the alertness and spiritual stamina that they have. In summary, this is what David is saying. And those of you who are in this bracket, be encouraged and serve God. Keep serving him until that day comes. David says this about you. You will grow, you will flourish, and you will bear fruit. Grow, flourish, and bear fruit. Friends, it is good to give thanks unto the Lord and to strive to live in continually with an attitude of gratitude in our daily lives. Let us go out this week and practice tireless praise unto God. And do not walk in heedless arrogance, but enjoy an endless vitality that comes with honoring our Father for all the blessings he has poured upon you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word that has come to us. We glorify you that you have taught us what it means to be grateful unto you. You said it was good when you created everything, but when it came to us, it is very good. So it is a good thing for us also to come back and say thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name.